We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This is a monumental pod. We made you wait, but the wait is over. Episode 250 of Moose and Runes alongside Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso and we have a special surprise for you here for 250. We are going to dive into the mailbag as promised, but also Mark Shanowski joining the pod to punctuate what was a successful Bulls season that came to a close a night ago at the hands of the rival Milwaukee Bucks. But first and foremost, Matt Rooney, how are you? Yeah, Joe, we got to answer like six or seven mailbags or whatever they were and talk to Mark Shinowski today. That's a pretty ideal morning and a pretty ideal podcast for me. How do you beat it? It was, How do you it, beat it? It's it, you don't. You don't. You sit down. And maybe you get to listen to this, and then you listen to it again, and you download, and you subscribe, and you leave a comment and a five star review. Maybe that's how you beat it. I'm not really sure, but I, I it was a it was a great chat with Mark as always. And you know, you think you know everything about the you, you think you learn more about the Bulls, and you think you have a good idea about them, and then you you talk to Mark, and you just learn even more about the Bulls and everything about where the questions are asking and what's going on with them. So. As always, you're going to learn a lot from Mark, and uh, you're going to leave better for having listened to the interview. Yeah, I think uh, some really solid perspective, some interesting possibilities in terms of you know what he has his ear to the ground with in terms of trades, possible faces we could see in Chicago, mm-hmm. what it's going to take to take that next step forward. Um, Matt, before we dive into the interview, a, a tip of the cap to you, a congratulations, episode two fifty. Hey, yourself, believe- right there, right there with you. I, but I think I'm, I think I'm like. Six, maybe six episodes short of you. I, I know there's you're probably some, you are, uh, but like with the amount of like half episodes and extra episodes, that very well might have been your 250th. You're right because I've done a couple right. interviews. So let's just call your 250th my 256. How about that? Fantastic. Well, it's been a blast throughout, but without further ado, let's get to the man, Mark We now have the pleasure of having reoccurring guest Mark Shinowski on the podcast. Nobody has covered the Bulls in depth the way that Mark has over the recent and past history of this team. And it's in a far better place than it was when we probably last talked. Uh, a lot of lamenting over Bulls seasons over the last couple of years here with Mark on the podcast. But Mark, first and foremost, we appreciate you stopping by as always and uh, adding some context to this Bulls season. And hopefully putting it into a perspective for us, because I think maybe we lost a little perspective down the stretch when things started struggling. Well, I'm really honored to be on with you guys. I understand this is a milestone episode, so thanks for having Very me on and uh, happy <laughs> to talk about the Bulls and, and anything else that's going on around the league. Well, I, let me, let's, let's, just, let's just start with this. Um, Go ahead, Joe. Matt, Matt you, bro- yeah, you broke up a little bit there, Matt, but um, oh. let's just start with this. Like, when you sort of file this bull season away in your memory. Really the first um, AK experience that we got, the first time that we felt hope or positivity in any form in quite some time. First word that comes to mind when you think of this Bulls campaign. 
I would say uh, positive uh, in, in every sense of the word because mm-hmm. when you consider where this franchise was a couple of years ago, the fan base was asking for the front office to do something bold, to make some changes, to not be afraid to take a chance, to trade first-round draft picks, to do something to shake thing, things up. The franchise was in a real malaise. Uh, the coaching situation was not good, and they, they had to get things stabilized. So, you know, they brought in Arturis Karnischewicz. He's made some bold moves with the roster. He brought in an established coach and Billy Donovan, who has good communication with the players, good communication with the media, and, and in that regard to the fans as well. So I think that, that everything is on the uptick. You know, the injuries certainly put a damper on the way the season finished, but I think overall it's a big positive, and I know that the, the fans that I've talked to are really excited about what the front office can do to, to tweak the roster over the summer to get them in a position where maybe they're a top-four team with, with home-court advantage in next year's playoffs. So, Mark, you, you mentioned there the injuries, which obviously there were uh, too many to count, it seemed like, at times this year, were between COVID, between actual injuries, between people being out for so much time, Lonzo not playing, Caruso spending so much time out, Levine missing a lot of time. Where was it for you that this team kind of went right? I don't want to say went wrong because it was seemed to be injuries that derailed them, but why couldn't they kind of get back on track once they did get healthy? Was it, was it Zach not really being fully healthy? Did Lonzo Ball really make that big of a difference? Because, you know, at the beginning of the series, they kind of were just without Lonzo. They did get pretty healthy. What kind of was the main reason they couldn't seem to get back on track from that point where DeMar was the MVP and they were the one seed in the East? I think from my perspective, we were so overwhelmed by the performance of DeMar DeRozan through the first two-thirds of the season. I mean, he was a legitimate top three MVP candidate for a while. The Bulls were at the top of the Eastern Conference, and, you know, he had those back-to-back three-point buzzer beaters sandwiched around New Year's Day that were just incredible, and we were just riding that high so much that I think we really never fully appreciated how important Lonzo Ball was to the overall execution on both ends. I mean, this guy did so many things to help the team. He shot 42% from the three-point line, and that was on high volume. He averaged over seven three-point attempts per game. He was the leader of the defense. He was so good at playing the passing lanes. He'd get you two or three steals and easy transition buckets every game. He was good on-ball, a uh, good on-ball defender at 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, where, you know, they would run that high screen and roll with Vucevic with, where other guys would get caught on the screen. He would find a way to get through it and stay with his man. He was so important to them, both offensively and defensively, that I think we were kind of taken in by the amazing stats that were being put Put up by DeRozan and Zach Levine. You know, both those guys were averaging over 25 points a game at the All-Star break. They both made the All-Star team, and and the, the perception was that those were the two guys that were carrying the weight. But if we look back on the season, I think we we lost sight of what Lonzo meant to that franchise, and also what Alex Caruso was doing when he was fully healthy. You know, he he missed time with a broken wrist, and and, and a, he had a stint with COVID as well. And when he came back, he you know he hurt injured his back again, and then finally the concussion that knocked him out of the final playoff game. So Caruso really wasn't healthy either for over the last two or three months, and he was a big key to their defense. Their defensive efficiency dropped like a rock after uh, they lost those two guys, and, and I think ultimately that was their undoing. Uh, Mark, I do want to talk about uh, Zach Levine here in depth in a second, but you sort of stirred something up there in terms of just the value that this team found over the last 12 months, whether it was with Lonzo or whether it was having a deeper belief in DeMar than other teams did, or whether it was seeing the value in Caruso, it really seems like this front office has such a knack for talent evaluation that they don't necessarily buy into the narrative that 
the NBA or that the fans or that the media is selling. Like the narrative about DeMar coming into this season was it's a downturn. He's done. And he just statistically and by a number of other measures just had the best season of his career. What can you say about this front office from that standpoint of just not just talent evaluation, but finding that perfect intersection of like talent and value? Well, I think it goes back to what I said initially, that this front office is not afraid to take chances. They weren't married to anybody on the roster that they inherited, so they realized that they had to not only make draft picks and and try to use cap space, they went out and aggressively pursued guys that they knew could make a difference in the one-loss record. And I'm talking about those three guys, DeRozan, Ball, and Caruso. And and that really kind of turned the franchise around. Remember last year, albeit it was a 72-game season, but they only won 31 games, and they just didn't have the the uh, the power to support Zach Levine's ability to score at a high clip, and he, you know AK realized he had to go out and, and get help in a lot of different areas. And when you consider the fact that the roster that he inherited, the only guys that are left are, are Zach Levine and Kobe White. It's been a, a pretty remarkable turnaround in that regard. And you know, most of the time in the past, we'd hear rumors about the Bulls being linked to a potential free agent or maybe being involved in, in uh, as one of the trade suitors for a star, but they never could get it across the finish line and in these first couple of years you know he's made remarkable moves to consider that they were able to get DeMar DeRozan when he was uh, you know in serious talks with the Lakers and the Clippers to go back to Los Angeles and instead you know Mark Eversley who had a relationship with DeMar from their days together in Toronto was able to convince DeRozan to take a leap of faith and come to a 31 win team in the Midwest which he really wasn't interested in doing and then you heard DeMar's comments uh, after the finale saying that everything was perfect in his first season so that that message is going to get across to other free agents and other guys who are looking for better situations mm-hmm. and I think that They've created this this culture where now they're going to be a destination for certain free agents or guys who are disgruntled and trying to force a trade out of their current stop, which is something that just wasn't there. After Jimmy Butler left and kind of, you know, uh, scorched earth on the franchise, uh, they were in a bad position in terms of the perception of what the Bulls were all about. And I think now that's that's done a 180-degree turn, and I think that is what really should get Bulls fans excited because not only what they have now, but they have the potential to bring in other players players to complement what they have on their core. And I don't think there was a more glowing endorsement of that than DeMar's comments after the season and how he was in a way surprised by, you know, the way that this Chicago fan base embraces its own and what this front office was able to accomplish and what this locker room became. That was was a glowing endorsement from a guy who, I don't know, seems refreshed in his career moving forward. Well, I remember on Bulls Media Day, uh, you know, I was there, and and I wouldn't say DeMar was standoffish, but he was very guarded. You know, he was getting the, the general questions. Remember the perception last summer was that it was the worst free agent signing of the summer, that they're bringing yeah. in a 32-year-old DeMar DeRozan with lots of mileage on him. He won't, and he's going to clash with Zach because they're going to want to be in the same spots on the floor, and it was going to be a failed experiment. Why would the Bulls go out and bring in a guy like that at that kind of money? And, you know, some of the questions at media day were about, you know, did, did the Bulls overpay? Uh, how are you going to fit with Zach? And he kind of buried his head in the table and then gave, kind of, you know, kind of bit off his answers. He wasn't real happy about the line of questioning. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, if this starts off badly, this could this could really be bad, you know, be horrible. But instead, you know, the Bulls got off to a great start. DeMar played fantastic basketball right from the outset. And, you know, they, they were one of the best teams in the league for the first half of the season. So it got off. It 
you know, I think even some of the players have said privately that they never thought that they would be that good for the first 41 games, and and they were they were winning games at an amazing clip. Um, you know, I think that really kind of fueled upon itself where guys were, were, were buying in and playing harder and accepting their roles and, and listening to what the coaching staff had to say. And it just led to a fantastic run until the, all, all the injuries set in. And, and I think that, that DeMar, you know, he took a leap of faith to come here and he wasn't sure if this was going to be perfect for him and probably realized if it doesn't work out, I can always ask for a trade and go somewhere else. And maybe the Bulls management even assured him that, you know, if, if you're not happy here, we'll move you along. Uh, but what he, he said last night in terms of his his happiness with the fit and the relationships that he's built in the organization I think that's going to be transmit across the league you know when you get veterans who are as well respected as DeMar DeRozan his voice is going to carry a lot of weight and the Bulls won't have cap space but as we found out last summer cap space is greatly overrated in today's NBA trades are Mm -hmm. what moves the needle in terms of changing the roster and I think the Bulls will be in position if there's a guy that wants to move I think Chicago will, will probably be on that player's list uh, are there any players? Uh, we're going to get to Zach, but like, are there any players on that list that you mentioned? You know, wanting to move this off season that you could see the Bulls being major players for. I know Brooklyn's probably going to has a chance of blowing up what they have, and Nikola Jokic, I think, is, is going to be a free agent here and might be somewhat interested in the sign and trade, even though he said he likes Denver. And obviously, there's the DAK connection here. Are there any big names that you see the Bulls being major players for in specific this off season? You, you think could, they could jump at? Well, things change so quickly in the NBA. You know, all it takes is one playoff disappointment, one blow up with a coach, and all of a sudden, a player that you're not even thinking about suddenly becomes available. I think the two names to watch in regard to the Bulls this year are Anthony Davis and Bradley Beal. Davis, because he's a Chicago guy, he's always said things about his hometown that you know he he, he would consider playing here. And the Lakers have to do something. Obviously, they're in salary cap hell with those three huge contracts that they have on their books. I don't know if uh, LeBron. And, and you know their dual agent Rich Paul would allow a trade like that, but the Lakers have to do something. So I think you're going to hear Anthony Davis's name as possibly being available this summer, maybe in a, in a Zach Levine sign and trade scenario. And then Bradley Beal, of course, played for Billy Donovan at Florida, has a great relationship with Billy Donovan, and and you know there's been talk that his time in, in with the Wizards may be running out. He's always said the right things about wanting to play his whole career with with the Wizards, but you know deep down he probably would like a chance at a championship as well. So those are the two names that popped to mind. You know, another guy who could become available, not necessarily in Chicago, is is Kawhi Leonard. You know, he didn't play at all this year, but he, he worked so hard to get back to his native Southern California, I don't think he would accept a trade to Chicago. I think he's one guy that, that would not be interested in coming coming to the Midwest. You make a great point, Mark, that the uh, the dominoes tend to fall, and when they do, they fall quickly in the NBA, and sometimes they fall in places that you don't expect them to. Uh, it, it's just exciting, again, for the Bulls to maybe be in a place where they can catch one of those dominoes at, at a certain point. Uh, we've danced around it a bit here, but I think it is uh, time to address it here, just the future of Zach Levine with the Chicago Bulls, his tenure uh, possibly ending in an inauspicious manner with uh, – the COVID uh, diagnosis, or excuse me, the the health and safety protocol, uh, keeping him out of the final game of the season here. But he really was that guy. When you look back on the success of a team, there's always a player that was there a couple years early that that went through some some tough years before you got to the success. Whether it be your uh, Patrick Sharp prior to the Hawks runs, or, or a Brent C- uh, a Seabrook, or um, 
you know, you can draw other parallels here, but Levine was a guy who, who really laid that foundation, but do you see him as one of those foundational pieces moving forward? Does he fit in the, I don't know, the grand scheme of things? And I know it's hard to project because possible sign and trade, other pieces coming in. Is there any redundancy there at the guard position? Do you think he was utilized properly? Do you see him as the Chicago Bull moving forward? Well, I think that the Bulls will give offer him a max contract as soon as the free agent period opens on July 1st. And I think it's it's when you consider what he has done both statistically and in terms of his his value to the franchise, he's definitely a max player. Uh, a lot of people have criticized Zach over the years as being an empty calories kind of guy that sure he can score a lot of points, but he doesn't pay attention on the defensive end. He gives up as many points as he scores and, you know, he doesn't really show a lot in terms of leadership and, and playmaking and things like that. But his game has grown so much in the last couple of years where, you know, before he got hurt, he was averaging career highs in everything in terms of, you know, uh, points per game, his shooting percentage. He was shooting 50% from the field and 40% from the three for, for a good chunk of the season. And then he was adding in five or six rebounds and five assists. He was he was doing it on, on all levels. And, you know, the fact that he was able to basically cede the number one star spot to DeMar and play that that uh, that Robin role to, to DeMar's Batman, mm-hmm. you know, they were just a, a very formidable team. And I, and, I, and I think that, you know, if Billy Donovan came in with any reluctance about how am I going to coach this guy and how am I going to get him to commit on, on both ends and be a great teammate, I think those, those concerns disappeared almost immediately. And... Zach finally got to the playoffs in his eighth season. As you mentioned, you know, he was limping around on that bad knee. And then, of course, uh, the third time, you know, he goes in the health and safety protocols and has to miss the final game. So the last the last six weeks, last two months of the season were kind of a disaster for Zach. But, you know, I, hopefully it's just a situation where they can go in with the scope and clean out whatever the issue is, and he'll be 100% by training camp. And, you know, he's only 27 years old. He's, he's got a lot of great basketball ahead of him. I think if the right situation presented itself, uh, the Bulls would consider a trade, but you'd have to be bringing back someone the caliber of an Anthony Davis to, to consider moving yeah. Zach. I don't, I don't know that they would necessarily, you know, trade Zach for Bradley Beal. I don't know if that gets you further down the road. Um, but I think that what they'd like to get is a guy who can play the four or five that uh, is athletic and who can shoot the three point shot. Now, granted, that's that's a long list of, uh, of traits you'd like to get in a player, but that's where they are right now. They can they can afford to be a little bit choosy. They have a good nucleus in place. We saw, you know, maybe a little bit from Patrick Williams in these last two games that that uh, he can be a decent complementary offensive player. Now they just have to build their depth in terms of getting another shooter off the bench and getting an athletic front court player. And then I think you've got a team that can match up pretty well with those top teams in the East. Uh, you you talked about there, Patrick Williams, and I wanted to bring him up because he seemingly those last couple games in the Buck series there, even though the Bulls were kind of getting blown out, he played pretty well. Anybody outside of those, you know, obviously DeMar is DeMar, and he's here for a while. Vucevic is, is doing what he's doing. But, like, out of Patrick Williams, you know, Kobe White, Ayu Desumu, anybody off that bench, younger players trying to be a part of the, the core or, you know, bench wave going forward, make positive or negative impressions on you, kind of seal their fate as, as, as being here or not being here for the long haul, guys that they might want to move or hang on to? 
Yeah, I'll be very surprised if Kobe White is back next year. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, he kind of, I, I don't want to say he was in Billy Donovan's doghouse, but Billy kind of ran hot and cold on him. You know, he would he would always say the right things publicly in terms of, you know, Kobe's working hard on defense. He's working hard to be more of a playmaker. But when you really evaluate his overall game, he's kind of a one-trick pony. He's, he's a catch-and-shoot guy who can get hot from three-point range on occasion. But he's turnover prone. He has a tendency to, to lose his man on defense, not really physically strong at the point of attack. I think that when AK and, and Billy sit down in, in their end-of-the-season evaluations, they're going to go, you know, uh, he's, he's a good scorer, he's a good kid, but he doesn't really fit what we want to do on the defensive end of the floor. And they have a player that they're trying to develop in Ayo Desumu who is going to compete for those same minutes. I mean, granted, the team has, was rarely healthy throughout the season, but if they were, they would have five guards, and you can't play five guards in a normal rotation. So either Ayo or Kobe has to be moved or sit. And, and I think that Io showed enough in his rookie season uh, that really the big question for Io is he's got to improve his outside shooting. You know, he was very erratic on, a, on the three-point ball, and he needs to be better uh, in, on that regard if he's going to be a, a real impact player in the NBA. But I would think that given the fact that Kobe is eligible for a rookie extension this year and he was the seventh pick in the draft, Kobe and his representatives are going to go to the front office and ask for something in the range of, you know, something like you know, four for forty-eight or something like that, and that—that's probably going to be too rich for the for the Bulls' blood, considering all the big contracts they have on the books already. So, I would anticipate a Kobe White trade uh, this this summer. And you know, in terms of other guys, Vucevic only has one year left on his deal, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't be shocked if they find the right package that he could be moved as well. Because if you don't trade him and you decide to take him to free agency, then you're going to have a player who's going to be thirty-three, thirty-four, and do you really want to commit? major dollars to a guy that is you know as as good of an offensive player as he can be at times he's not a great player on the defensive end so those are some of the questions that the front office is going to have I think they're going to try to keep developing Patrick Williams I think he's going to be a player that uh, they're going to hope can can turn into you know one of the lead guys on this roster and if he doesn't that's going to hurt their development because they used the fourth pick in the draft on him, and they definitely expected him to become, if not an all-star, certainly a guy who's an upper-level player in the NBA. Mark, give us your Vooch uh, report card here on the season because it was, looking back on it, one of the most exciting signings we'd seen in a while. Uh, um, you know, Like you said, an amazing offensive talent coming from a place where sort of hidden under a rock and never really played much meaningful basketball on the tail end of the season. Did that show to you down the stretch that this is a guy who really didn't understand March, April in the NBA that he was asked to understand it this year? Yeah, it's kind of funny in that regard. You mentioned the fact that uh, playoff basketball and, and after their elimination, he was one of the guys that was brought to the interview area. And he talked about the fact that, you know, guys have to learn what it's like to be playing in these big games. And I'm like, what, you played in two playoff series in Orlando and you're yeah, an expert you now? Too, pal. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, certainly being in his 30s and, and being a veteran, you know, of double-digit years in the league, I guess he has that right to, to say that. But he, he doesn't have much playoff experience either. And, and for all the things he does offensively, you know, the fact that teams over and over would run that high screen and roll and Vooch would, would either drop back and, and leave a wide-open jump or he'd get beaten off the dribble. You know, he, the, the guy's 6'11", 260, and, and he's just not very, very quick. So he, he – and that, you can say that about a lot of big guys in the NBA. They have trouble trying to defend smaller players in space. It only makes sense. You know, they're giving up so much in the, in the quickness area. But maybe it was partially 
Billy Donovan's scheme, but at one point late in the year, he kind of bristled at the idea that, that the Bulls play drop coverage. He said, no, we want our bigs to be at the level of the screen, and everyone kind of you know rolled their eyes like, well, that's not what we're seeing night to night on the court. So I think that Vucevic is, is, a, is a very positive offensive player. He has good shooting range for a big man, although he didn't shoot the ball up to his career norms this year. Um, you know, my, my gut feeling is he'll probably be back next season for the, for the final year of his contract. But, you know, as aggressive as Billy Donovan is, I wouldn't, or excuse me, as Arturis Karnishevis is, I, I wouldn't rule out anything in terms of, of his future. But I would say overall, it was a subpar season for Vucevic and he could, he could bounce back next year and play really well, or, or it could be that, uh, this is the beginning of the end of his time in Chicago. Hey, Mark, Mark, I got one more for you here and we, we just, uh, you know, the Bulls go up against the defending NBA champs, a team that had been very successful in the playoffs for the last three, four years, and then got beat pretty good by them. And then usually in sports, before you can go on and kind of make your deep runs, before you can win anything of significance, you kind of have to learn how to win. Um, and hopefully that's kind of what the Bulls did when they saw it up front this first round. But going forward, like, if you're running the Bulls, what did you learn about this team in this series? And what did you learn about watching the Bucks about where the Bulls, what they need to do and where they need to get in order to get to that level? I think it's important to remember that this really is a huge step. You know, we started out with, mm-hmm. the, with the term positive in terms of what they did. And I think that's really what people should think about in terms of the future of the franchise. They do have a lot of good foundation pieces. You'd like to have another athletic front court player. And, you know, the Bulls have the 18th pick in the draft. Maybe they get lucky and somebody falls to them that can really help in that regard. I think that, you know, when they went to the bench after when Vucevic came out, uh, first it was Tony Bradley, then it was Tristan Thompson, and neither of those guys really gave them much. So they were forced to go especially small at times. And then after the Chris Middleton injury in Game 2, Milwaukee went with that jumbo front line with Bobby Portis up front, and it really hurt the Bulls. So they have to really be able to match up in terms of size. Hopefully having Patrick Williams for a full season next year, if he can avoid injury, will uh you know, help them in that regard. But I think they also need another front court player that can protect the rim, that can block shots, that can match up with some of these taller front courts. I mean, you think about the four games against Philadelphia and Joel Embiid just trashed them. I mean, he just brutalized them inside. They they were really susceptible against the good teams to attacks on their on their basket, and that's going to have to change if they want to be a team that can compete for not only a playoff spot, but to advance in the postseason. We all know their record against the top four teams in both conferences. It was brutal, and those are the teams that have the good balance of three-point shooting and strength on the inside. They're going to have to tweak the roster again to try to be a, a better defensive team to be able to protect their basket, and I think those are the things that they learned through this playoff experience are that we don't really have the personnel to match up against, you know, a front court that's got three guys that are 6'10 or taller. I mean, you've got DeMar DeRozan and Alex Caruso trying to guard Giannis. I mean, that's, that's just not a good matchup. So they're going to, they're going to have to improve the roster. They're also going to have to, you know, dedicate themselves to, to, you know, just being tougher, both physically and mentally against these good teams because they had a tendency when, when the lead would get to 15, 18, they would, they would kind of fold up their tents for the night. And, and that's something that can't continue if you want to be a serious champion. Contender, so they need to work on the roster, but I think also there there has to be some growth with each of the players in terms of of their mental toughness and their their ability to withstand adversity because that's one of the themes that Billy Donovan used a lot late in the year is that these guys have to realize that uh, you know when things go bad you can't hang your head you just got to play tougher and I think that's a lesson that all these guys will have learned through what happened late in the year. 
We have finally achieved competence. Next up is prominence, Mark Shinowski. We are on our way. Uh, the Bulls, right. positivity is the word, uh, and, I'm, and I'm hoping that the entire fan base can feel that and see that uh, moving forward here. But we are forever indebted to you for bringing your insights here to the podcast time and again. Uh, no better way to close the book on the season than with our guy, Mark Shinowski. Mark, thank you so much uh, for stopping by. We appreciate you as always, man. Yeah, congrats again on 250 episodes and uh, many more in the future. Thanks for having me on, guys. I think you've been on. I think you've been on like 200 of them, right? You've been some something around there. <laughs> yeah, maybe 175. But yeah, it's, it's it's been fun though. You guys are great. Well, we appreciate your time as always. Be well, and uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. All right, so there he is, Mark Chanowski. Nobody covers the Bulls better. I mean, decades upon decades. Go back, watch the last dance. He's got a microphone under Michael's nose, so that's how you know uh, how well uh, this man has covered this team and with what depth he's covered the team and the understanding that he brings to the current day of Chicago Bulls basketball. It's all on display for you right there in that conversation. Yeah, I, always great stuff, great insight. The, you say the name Anthony Davis or Bradley Beal, and then I, 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 you get my ears perked, and I'm, I'm listening, I'm watching. I didn't want to push back on it, but I want nothing to do with Anthony Davis. I'm just, putting I, it on yeah. the, I'm, just, I'm just putting it out there for public record. I don't want 38 games of Anthony Davis. But I guess you hear the names like that and how we talked about how, the, the yeah. way DeMar talks about the Bulls. Like, that actually now perks up some stars' ears, and, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in Brooklyn. I don't know who's leaving there. There's one very, very good player who goes by the nickname the Slim Reaper. Maybe he wants out. He'd be a great fit. That's just pipe dream. But like the the possibilities now, like you talked about, things happen fast and furious in the NBA offseason. Knowing that the Bulls are probably going to be a team that has their name involved, um, that's fun because a lot of times the offseason is better than the regular season. This is fun. We're having fun. <laughs> I do hope he's wrong on Vooch. Uh, he's a nice player, but like, I just I, I would like to see if there's a possibility, if there's a window to get him off the books or get a piece back, or yeah. have him involved in a sign and trade for a for a star, something like that. If if they could figure out that, I would be happier. I, I I don't have anything against him. He's just not quite what we thought. He's not that elite superstar center. He's just kind of the the tier below it, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if they want to win next year, which it's going to take a lot of moves, I don't think it's with him on the roster. The arrow is pointing up, which is more than we could say uh, this time last year or any year in recent memory. So uh, let's uh, let's keep the bulls rolling in the right direction here. Once that agency window does open, Matt, we do have to get to the mailbag. Some uh, some special stuff here some, from some of our uh, most valued and tenured listeners. The wait finally over. It is episode two fifty. We do have some mailbags. Thank you to everyone who submitted. Uh, Matt, should we just dive right in here? Some really thought-provoking stuff on the table. I'm I'm ready to get going. Uh, I really, these these episodes are fun. There's not much going on in the sporting world. We got some draft. The Bulls are done, but you know we're, we're covering that. Let's let's get this mailbag. Let's have some fun with this one. Uh, uh, why don't you why don't you where, lead us off here? I'm gonna, where I'm do let you, you set the table on these? I was okay. I was ooh, you know what? You said set the table, and we have mm. some food ones. Mm. So we're gonna start okay. with food questions. How about that? Uh, this one is from uh, Brother Mike, who, credit to him, he sends us some, some strange ones, some ones that I priests? like. Priests? I don't know priests listen to the pod. But bro- brother of the pod, Mike Rooney, not, not the priest. Oh. He's not a priest that I know of. Oh, 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 um, oh, oh, oh. He, he sends us a lot of ones that we, we don't get to air, but he, he sends us also some good ones, too. This one was straight, uh, short, sweet, and to the point, and I think I know your answer for this, but what is the best dish that you cook yourself? 
Best, I mean, that's tough. I, I like to think that I'm pretty proficient in most all of my dishes. Mm-hmm. Um, recency bias right now, I made a lovely handmade, like, agnolotti, like a very delicate ravioli. Um, oh, look at you. Made the dough, rolled it out extremely thin. Uh, filling was a a spinach ricotta with toasted pine nut, and they were – and I just did it in, like, a little – brown butter lemon sauce that was mm. like uh, to die for we did it uh two weeks ago and it's just like i've thought about it every day since so um that one i guess would be my recency bias answer uh, there's I'm one you've talked my... about on this pod though that like i thought really? was going to be a home run answer I was gonna say, talk like, about all the time like uh holiday wise it's always the that's the that's lobster, where i was going yeah, the lobster diavolo but that's like you know, that's a pretty simple red sauce. It's like the base of your normal red sauce. You go in there like halfway through with a little bit of fish stock or clam juice, something to give it a little bit of, um, you know, just a little hint of the sea. And then you finish your lobsters in the sauce. It's not like a hard thing to do. But where I was thinking like the ravioli took a lot of like okay. technical, um, small, like a lot of little problems can arise throughout that process. Whereas like, I was going to say, like, steak in the cast iron, pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, made, I've, I've developed a nice uh, a chimichurri that goes over the steak, mm-hmm. a little, like, uh, a little side-dipping sauce-type thing there, um, some fresh herbs, fresh greens. But, yeah, definitely holidays, the lobster diavolo. Um, Are you a make-your-own sauce guy? It sounds like you're into, you know, kind of making your own sauce in that pan. Yeah, I mean, but if we're, like, in, in a pinch, I just yeah, swear by – Yeah, store-bought stuff's fine, uh, but – Rayo's Rayo's store bought is the only store bought will do in terms of red sauce, um, but yeah, I, I think that's that's a pretty good uh, a comprehensive list of what's on my mind and what we do well and what we do throughout the year. Oh, tonight uh, the, oh. the menu is already set. Tonight I am doing my rendition of tor- of Portillo's chopped salad, the chopped chicken salad. Oh, so uh, that's nice. Um, did that last month. Rave hit in the household. Um, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fantastic once again. So I, I think that uh, we we can go very highbrow and very lowbrow in answering that question. But um, final answer: toasted pine nut spinach cheese ravioli. There you go. That was that was not the answer there. I'm expecting. But I was expecting, but that was the detail in which I was expecting you to give your we answer. Got there. So I, I was very impressed by that. I'm doing tonight my rendition of a Portillo's hot dog. Um, okay. I I don't really have like you you get in depth and get you know get super creative with the pasta and all that. I don't I don't have the greatest of kitchens here to kind of explore with. I don't have a lot of space to really get into it. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of ba- like every once in a while or like holidays sometimes I'll try out some new stuff, but for the most part I kind of make the same few things here and there with, you know, some minor tweaks to it. But the one thing that I've it's a little bit different that I very much enjoyed making that might surprise you since I'm not Italian and that I'm Irish. I make a good meatball. I, I've I've made meatballs now several times. I got a good recipe from my, my cousin Johnny, so it, I Very got good. an Italian recipe. So it wasn't it wasn't my recipe. Uh, but source. It's 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 short, sweet, simple, and to the point. It's easier to do, and I, they usually come out pretty good every time. So I, I'm just going to go with meatballs. I meatballs, and you know, throw some pasta, whatever kind of pasta you like, in the pan there. But I like a good meatball. I make a good meatball. Sometimes I'll mix it up if I want to go healthier and go half. Uh, half turkey in ground turkey instead of what's the the meat what's the meat um mixture i will go half it's if i'm going healthier go half turkey half uh like ground you know johnsonville sausage or if i want to go real i'll go half ground beef half johnsonville sausage and i i had gone with the um 
sweet Italian sausage and then thrown some red pepper flakes in there. I've also just gone with the hot Italian sausage and then gone easier on the red pepper flakes. See, well, a sausage of, in the meatball is surprising to me. Yeah, that this is. Uh, I'm going with the recipe here that I was yeah, given, and it no, was a half and half. That. And I, I like it a lot. It brings out some some new flavors, and you get with the Italian sausage. You obviously get a little bit of the sweeter, a little bit of the spicy, depending on which one you like. And uh, I'm just, uh, I'm a fan. I think that's kind of the the one thing that I, I'll actually, you know go all out for and actually you put in a lot of effort, get out all the ingredients as opposed to, you know, making salmon and Brussels sprouts for the 15th time in a row. I, uh, I, I do make a good Brussels a, sprout though. You got to have a good Brussels sprout recipe. I, I also have a, a healthy meatball and then regular meatball recipe. Um, and then there's like a couple iterations in between the healthy one is a ground Turkey meatball, a little savorier, um, a little less, uh, you know, they, it goes good in a red sauce still, but like mm-hmm. it just doesn't. It doesn't have what the true meatball has. A real meatball, a, as it's been passed on from generation to generation in the Musso family. Not to give away any uh, any like um, you can give us a hint secrets, secrets here, but the meat mixture is the most important thing, and it's equal parts ground beef, equal part pork, equal part veal. So gr- obviously, okay, all veal is definitely one I've seen in that. I've, I've seen veal beef there, but I have not pork. Used so veal being beef as well, but it's. You know, younger beef. Let's not yes. let's not get into it. Um, <laughs> but like, so you're essentially going two to one beef to pork. There, the pork gives it a little saltiness, gives it a little something. But the veal, I think, is most um, important for texture, and then the beef is like your kind of your cornerstone, your binder. So that's the holy triumvirate, um, as I understand it. Well, I'm going to need to come over to the Musos then and experience the, the meatballs at some Tell point. Tell them to make your batch shot. next time you go for your trims. You know, I, 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 if, if I asked her for that, that. She, it would not shock me if I, I, I came to like a, like a you know, little container full of meatballs. That would be, Tell her to be throw it. Uh, Tell her to throw it on the itemized receipt at the end of the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just add an extra twenty to my haircut bill. There you go. Um, you want to keep it rolling with food? We got yeah, we got like one. Uh, we got one more. Stay, yeah, you know, keep, I shot a couple more the food, food ones here. I, the I, food love, I love the food ones. Me too. All right, this one comes from friend of the pod, Parker Carroll. Uh, it, it's kind of a two parter, and he's talking chefs because he's a he's a big Food Network fan, and he yeah. said to exclude Guy Fieri from this because he thinks it would be a home run guy <laughs> for both of them. Maybe we can go guy for like one of the two. If I can't no, answer it, Guy Fieri, it, no, but Guy is just a home run answer. I think for at least one of them, if not both. But who is the chef whose restaurant you would most want to eat at while they're cooking, and Ooh. what chef would you most like to share a meal with? I think for like a, a, a guy, guy would be share a meal with. Yes, can, and don't I'll, give. I'll, I'll I'd love to one. be. I'd love to be at a meal or it'd be at guy's restaurant when he's cooking. I've been to his I Vegas restaurant. His burgers very, are fantastic. But are they okay? Because I've heard oh, that his yeah. restaurants are all like TGI Fridays. No, I mean they're more. I mean they're not. That he doesn't have any of the you know fancy restaurants like a like a Gordon. Not Rams even that it needs to be like, fancy. It's just like, like all you he, can get is like. His burger brisket nachos. That's the only thing I've I mean. Yeah, the, the, the menu is much more bar and grill type. Yeah, I, but like, I've been to his. I've been to his burger restaurant in Vegas a couple times, and it's like it's a it's a good burger. Um, I, okay. I, I'm going to go for my, my. Yeah, go ahead. You go first. I'm going to go for my chef. I would most want to eat at like their restaurant while they cook. Mm-hmm. This one's a little bit off the board, but like, I, I, I are you a Food Network guy? You watch it? I am. Out? So I, I've I've watched – this isn't one of the super famous ones, but he's been on diners, drive-ins, and dives, and I think he's kind of blown up a little bit as a barbecue guy. Um, but he's a barbecue pit master named Ed Mitchell down in North Carolina, 
And Ed I, I just, okay, as you're just, talking, because I know when I see his face, I'll know it. He's, he's big, uh, black dude with like this big, kind of oh, gray, yes, Lovey yes, Smith yes. type beard. And like, I've he seen runs his that episode. Smokehouse on, that's like, yeah, like, it's like a whole room, the smokehouse. Yes. And I'm, I'm just, I'm a huge, like, barbecue, if I had, you know, one Ed meal Mitchell, to really just go all out and like, it's, it's amazing. And like, I was trying to think of all, like, I love watching Gordon Ramsay's shows, but like, he gets a little bit fancy for me sometimes and throws in a lot of ingredients. Like, okay, whatever. Like, he'd be entertaining if he had the, the Hell's Kitchen. Oh, see, I'm screaming at people. Fully, I'm leaning into the full uh, white tablecloth. And you know situation what? With I think answer. both of these bra- these answers are very on brand for both of us. Then. Yes. I'm going to go with yes. the, with the big barbecue pitmaster. Uh, he just uh, the, the the episode I saw of him on Diners, Drive-ins, and Dives was awesome. He's been on that barbecue pitmaster show too, and just. It, it's big with pork and, you know, full pig roast. Mm-hmm. And I just pulled pork. A good pulled pork for me is, is amazing. I love Carolina barbecue sauce. You kind of have a little more of that, like, sweet. Oh, I love the tang. Yeah, the little so, tang. The yeah, little, yeah. Like, uh, um, like you get the gold. Base. Yeah, you get the yeah, gold yeah. barbecue sauce in there, too, which I'm a big fan you of. So that's, Alab- you ever had Alabama barbecue sauce? Isn't it white? white? Sauce? No, yeah. I'm not, I've tried it's it before. Good. I don't, like, pretty good. I don't dislike it, but uh, it's. Yeah. I'm not a huge, I would go, of, of all the, the regions, that's, I mean, Texas obviously doesn't really have their own barbecue sauce because they don't really do barbecue sauce. A little bit more of a there, dry but, rub, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm more, I, I, I don't mind it, but I, I give me give me Ed Mitchell's uh, Carol, whatever whatever. That's rest, a good answer. Whatever, that's whatever good answer. his restaurant is. But yeah, I think it's on um, brand that I'm going barbecue. But also. Where I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt too, and you got your white tablecloth. Now, now I'm also of the understanding for this question that like, because he is specifically cooking for you that you have to go into the smokehouse to like help him cook it or like to watch him cook it at least. Like, Hell yeah, yeah. I would love I, to. That's okay, what just, barbecue just, area is one that I'm like, I'm kind of afraid. One, I don't have a smoker, but like two, like yeah. once a I, little bit like it, it's, it's hard. Still like, it's, a little bit of sorcery that I don't yeah, understand. It's hard to yeah. get right. And like, you have yeah. to really like kind of watch people and learn how to do it. Uh, maybe we can get Jake Mahalik to, to give us a lesson at some point. Shout, shout out his Instagram. Smoking is cool. Um, but he is like, <laughs> I don't know. Handle. I don't, it really is. Um, but like I don't, it's there's so much to it, and there's so much time, and there's the wood chips, and there's the like the, the exact temperature of the heat. And it's just that, that that's something it's I want to learn how to do. But it's it's an art. It's an art. It's a dance. You it's really got to figure it out. It's not just throwing a piece of beef on the grill. So that's that's it for me. Uh, Matt, I think that you sort of hit the nail on the head there. You also stirred up a little bit of inspiration in me. So honorable mm. mention, Aaron Franklin at Franklin Barbecue. Yep. You know, you hear lore about it, the, the Austin, Texas. Um, he's like the mad scientist of barbecue. Seems like a cool guy and all the food, food network stuff I've seen. But in staying true to myself, I am going full white tablecloth and I'm going to what is considered to be, I believe, a top five restaurant in the country. We're going to the French Laundry in Napa. Mm. And Thomas Keller is doing the tasting menu, menu for us. Apparently, the tasting menu and the wine pairing, it's like an arm and a leg, but it lasts like three hours, and it's stuff you've never seen before, It's but it's flavors that are reminiscent of things you've had before. Like, it's just supposed to be like a culinary odyssey like no other. So, the French Laundry, Thomas Keller. You're not going to see him on Food Network all that mm-hmm. much, I don't believe, but if you Google him, it's a face you might know from... Uh, I'm sure you've gotten the ads on YouTube or elsewhere, those masterclass videos. He teaches a cooking masterclass. Um, so uh, you might notice it from there, but he is the head chef at the French Laundry. Uh, that is a place where Gavin Newsom famously ate without a mask on in the middle of the pandemic, but it is mm, not known okay, just that. for that. It is, it's, a, it's, been a, it's been an institution, Michelin stars year after year for the last – I believe 20, 25 years. So that is, uh, that's definitely on the bucket list. And I am going to 
have the mailbag take me to my bucket list, and we're going to do Thomas Keller at the French Laundry. I love that. It's just it's they're both good answers, but it's, I just I keep saying it, it's so incredibly on brand. My answer <laughs> is just throw a whole bunch of pulled pork and barbecue sauce in front of it's me like, so I can stuff my face. Joe I'm is white go tablecloth tasting Beef. menu with the combo. One. I, I want. I don't. I don't. I don't know that. And the guy behind the desk is going to make me my combo. We'll have a little conversation as well. That one, you know, that might be who I want to share a meal with and have it be. Generous. Okay, that's fine. Is, is, oh, is okay, there a so chef you want to share a meal with? Meal. I mean, Guy Fieri you know, is top of the charts. Guy, guy is guy. We're going to take Guy off the board because, like, you just anytime you get a chance to spend time with Guy, you take it. You take um, it. I'm going to go bounce, with. Dude. I'm going to go with two originals. I'm going to go with two originals from Food Network. Bobby Flay would be awesome. He just seems like mm-hmm. the coolest dude in the world. Like Great stories because he's dined with everybody. And for the female side, Giada. Like, you know, you know Giada. Yeah, oh, Giada right? De Laurentiis. Giada yeah. De Laurentiis. And that's probably because I'm just going to like convince myself that I'm on a date with Giada. Like, that's why I'm answering that way. So, um, th- that, that is, um, that's the uh, both sides of it here. Uh, guy, because he's amazing. And he's my favorite person on planet Earth. Bobby Flay for the stories. Giada, because in my head we're dating. Yep, that's, that's three parter, and I love it. Uh, Bobby Flay was on my <laughs> Bobby Flay was on my list as well, just because I don't know. It's Bobby Flay. You, you know, like you said, he has stories. He's been an entourage. Like that would be a cool thing to talk about with him. <laughs> um, I would also love. A, I'm a. I've become a Gordon Ramsay guy. I like mm-hmm. I like watching Gordon Ramsay shows. I love watching him critique the hell out of food and see how he judges it and stuff. So I think that'd be a seeing him pick apart his meal kind of across the table while also get, getting to ask him whatever questions I wanted about cooking would be quite intriguing. But now you are also opening yourself up to terrible and um, and really uh, deep cutting uh, critique. Like he's going to hate the way you chew. He's going to hate the way you cut your steak. Like you're opening yourself up to some criticism here. I think I need that though. I need some, I need some direction. I need some, uh, you know, I need some guidance. I think I could, I could use that. Like I, I, I don't, Okay. I could use some direction and guidance like that. Okay. Hey, you're cutting your steak wrong. Okay. How do I cut it? Tell me how to do it. I want to learn. I want to be perfect. He could help me with that. All right, so this is we're, we're I feel like we're giving great answers here because they're multi-purposed. Like we're yeah. going to come away from this having learned something. I like yeah, that. exactly. You don't like you that. give us a mailbag question. We don't just pick a name out of a hat. We think about it. We think <laughs> on it. We give you our answer. Thank you, Parker, for what was what the a deeper answered question that I kind of thought it would end up being, and one that really brought out the uh, the, the true light of this podcast. Um, it is, people forget. People forget. I think first and foremost, a food podcast. It's not even a sports podcast. It's 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 a food podcast. It's a golf podcast. It's Bears podcast. Apple, it's fashion Apple podcast. Ju- Apple just has a has a terrible time putting us putting a genre on us. You know, the good people. <laughs> but that's what we're doing. Apple. We're putting ourselves in all other fields. <laughs> all right, so we're gonna we, we have some obviously we, we have some golf pod questions which we're gonna transition mm-hmm. to, and we're gonna do that by transitioning to a food slash golf question. So wow, I, you see this. what I did there? It's it's like I'm look a little bit of a pro. Value. It's like I've done this before. Uh, we're talking halfway houses, and I think we've talked halfway houses stuff. You know. Uh, options before mm-hmm. but uh friend of the pod also sends us probably um, three mailbags a week and I'm, i apologize because we can't get to them and admittedly some of them are more impassioned and don't really ever get to me- meant to be answered but friend of the pod rob gallic also two-time 
guest, multiple time guest of the pod, Rob Gallick. Uh, what's your go to halfway house meal snack purchase? And what's the most important podcast item graphic artist? Uh, that, podcast sorry, graphic like, artist. Was, there it is. Yeah, there, there you go. Art <laughs> director <laughs> of Moose and Roots. Moose art, and director, Roots art director. Okay. We'll, give, we'll give him art director. So he's, like, he's, our, he's our Virgil Abloh. Rest in peace. <laughs> go to Moose or go to Halfway House. Me, whatever purchase. Now it doesn't have to be a full okay. meal. What's the most important item at a Halfway House? Most important item in my my purchase are two different answers. Yes, like, I agree. The most important item at the halfway house is probably Michelob Ultra. Like okay. just in case, just in case, because like I'm never trying to get blasted on the course. Like I, okay, for instance, I was in Palm Springs. It was a booze round. Had a blast. Um, Did you started with I think a, a lost vodka episode? soda. No, no lost episode. Started okay. with like a vodka soda with some lemons in it. Did a couple of those, and then transitioned on the back nine to just some white claws. Because we were, you know, we were That's buzzing. The way to we, go. Were, we were, yeah. we were exactly where we needed to be, and I wanted to continue to be able to hit great golf shots. Mm-hmm. I did. Um, Congrats! So I'd say a good light beer is key because if you're not playing good on the front, fill up that cooler. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have six Michelob Ultras on the back, and it's gonna be a fine day. Um, but, but my order. If you got a turkey sandwich, you know that that's my play. Like, I love raiding a golf course by their turkey sandwich at the halfway house. Schaumburg Golf Club, greatest turkey sandwich in the Chicagoland area. Um, that's my usual go-to order. Maybe a turkey sandwich and a Snickers bar, something I can three-bite and get down for a little sugar kick as well. Um, but, yeah, I think that – oh, not, not my answer, but sort of this, this question – Took me there for a second. Saw a very interesting thing last summer. Oh. Uh, was lucky enough to be invited to play at one of the private courses out here uh, with one of my bosses, Darien Country Club. Darien Country Club, excuse me. Oh, I was going to say um, Darien, a nice place to live out here. So, they, so yeah, it, uh, so it's it goes Greenwich, Stamford, Darien. And Stamford is a little bit more of the um, blue-collar, hardworking, and then you have, like, your crazy two suburbs on each side of us. Mm-hmm. Um Darien, very affluent, great country club, everything you could think of in a country club experience. And there are two halfway houses. So you get every six holes, you get a halfway house, which is another lovely touch. But they're known for their chicken salad. And I'm not a chicken salad guy. Like you can get too mayo-based and then it's just gross. And like that's not what I'm looking for. It's not what I'm looking for. It was such a well-done, like really light chicken salad that was delicious and they had an interesting thing. So you can get it in sandwich form. You get a chicken salad sandwich, or you could literally get it, and it's on the menu as such, cup of chicken salad, which sounds disgusting, but they oh. literally just, like, scoop chicken salad into a cup and stick a fork in it. And, mm-hmm. like, it was the perfect, like, chicken light, not a bunch of bread, weigh you down. Um, was very impressed by that. So I like anytime here's, – here's my order. If you have a thing, if your golf course does a thing, I order that thing. If like if you're known for it, I'll try it. So uh, the the chicken salad at Darien Country Club, I guess, would be my other answer. Um, and any specialty dish you can give me, I'm in. Yeah, I'm with you. So like when we're I played Aaron Hills a couple times. Luckily, some nicer courses in Wisconsin as well. Most of those courses have. When I'm in Wisconsin, going to a halfway house, they have a fantastic brat. You get the brat because you're in, you're, you're exactly. in Wisconsin. And you're if you're playing Aaron, if, if you're playing in Aaron Hills, you walk in like ten miles in your round, so you can you another walk perfect that example. Three holes. Um, perfect example. West Coast Matt, the Burger Dog. Did you have a Burger Dog while you were in Northern California? I did not have a Burger Dog. Come on, I don't think, I don't know TV's, if I saw it on the menu. 
T- oh, it, well, it, I think it's an if you know, you know. It started at the Olympic Club, I believe, and it okay. expanded to all of Northern California. It's that sounds delicious. It's right up my alley. Well, it's a cheeseburger patty that they shape into, into a, hot dog. A, a rectangle, and then they put it in the hot dog bun. So it's a oh. much easier. It's it's all the the dressing like of it's a it's a hamburger, but they put it in the hot easier dog to bun. Eat. So it's I like a, that exactly because so the burger you, on the course gets thing, too messy. If a burger dog's your thing, I'm getting the burger dog. I like that. I've, I've, that's 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 uh, that's a tip from somebody who's lived out there, who's spent significant time out there. So I appreciate that go. one. My order is actually I'm not huge on like eating big meat and not the, like a turkey sandwich or a hot dog is a big meal. But I don't really like getting like the like I'm much more of like a snack on the golf course and then I'll have something afterwards just because I don't like mm-hmm. you know, getting my hands greasy and then putting it down and then wiping it off, putting the taking the glove back on and off because I usually Utility keep my glove purpose. on the whole round. You just got to get some calories in. My, my order is usually uh, either a Snickers or peanut. M- if, they, if you have a frozen Snickers or refrigerated Snickers, I'm going with that. If you don't, I'm going peanut M&M's. And okay. other and then yeah, the standard Miller Lights is usually it for me. Or if if it's a morning round, I'll grab, grab like a Diet Coke. But I, I'm pretty basic. I, I go frozen candy bar or the peanut M and M's, and then you know Miller Lights. Um, I would say the most important item though, when when I do want a meal, when I do want to grab just something quick at the turn, it's the hot dog. And if you have a bad hot dog, which is hard to do, but like I don't take some, a chance. Some go, see, I like some courses. Like I think Cog Hill. They have the like the hot dogs rotating on like the whatever I I can't think of the name you you know what I'm talking about with the little silver like cylinders the and roller dog thing yeah, yeah whatever you can usually see from that or if you see the grill in the background mm. you're like all right cool I can get a dog sometimes though you can you can tell if they're but that's why I'm saying it's important because if you do a good hot dog that's a fan like that's a fantastic that's a tone setter for a halfway house if you have yeah. a bad hot dog that sets off the whole vibe if I get a hot dog I'm craving a hot dog at the turn. I grab one, and yeah, usually I like seeing it before I order, but if I get a bad one, I'm like, oh, that's See, I don't, I I don't go, like that. I don't like I that. I always go brat because the room for error with a brat – like a bad brat is better than a bad hot dog to me. A bad brat yeah. will give me heartburn. A bad hot dog will ruin the next three days for me. Like I, mm-hmm. for some reason, like I'll just have the worst heartburn in the world. So I'm like a – I'm only eating a hot dog from a select number of places at this point in my life. Like I got to know what I'm getting yeah. in my hand here. And a golf course is just not that place for me. See, I'm, I, I'm off the hot dog. That's why though I am so emphatic on why it's important because if you do it well and people know you do it well and you're experienced, it's a, tr- it's do a well, true it's, feather it's a classic. The it's there every time <laughs> it sets the tone for the golf course. So that's, that's oh, the most I, important. Can I do hot, another honorable of mention? Of course you can. Uh, honorable mention not even looking at the halfway house and speeding past the group that you've been waiting behind for nine holes. Oh, that's, 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 that's the greatest. Type. No, no meal pegging the ground on number 10 is the best. Sometimes the best meal zooming past the group that you've been waiting on every shot exactly. behind for the last five holes. Exactly. <laughs> that's an honorable mention. <laughs> honorable mention. All right. So we're going to get, we're going to keep it going here with golf. Um, and this is mm-hmm. one we've been sitting on for a while. Brother, brother of other brother of the podcast, Tim sent this along. And we've, we've, I've been sitting on this one for a while. Hasn't really popped up because yeah, we've had so clergy, much to talk really about. Clergy really supporting the podcast. You know, when, when we ask, <laughs> sometimes it takes a direct text message instead of just us shouting out on the pod. But if I usually there when I go. send some direct text messages out, our uh, our loyal listeners come through. Um, so essentially, the question is: you prompted, I think, by a blog that you read. Pick for the rest of your life, ideally public, your five forever golf courses that you can only play, not mm. including price. Don't don't worry about location. For the, for the rest of your life, you get five golf courses that you can play. Um, have you know, I ever uh, – is there a caveat that I've had to have played it before? 
Uh, yes, sorry, you, that you've played before. Well, I mean, you can if you want to. Well, your pick list is going to be so much cooler than mine. That's that's not true. You know what? How about this? Give me. You can do two courses you haven't played before. Okay, that work. Uh, two courses you haven't played before. I'm yes. going to stick with ones I have uh, because I, I've already come up with the list. But like two courses you haven't played before, keep those public because um, I don't want you being like, yeah, Augusta National. Of course, I'd love to play Augusta National for the rest of my life. Okay, um, but that would be a lock on both of our lists. But uh, um, not, not not again, not necessarily the best or like the hardest or like the like, but like you need to have some playable that, golf courses on there. Yeah, a player, a place you can go out and play 18 holes. You know every day and not have to grind over if that makes sense kind of more relaxed course so i'll i can start you can start we can go back and forth one 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 what do you want uh, to do let, here? let's go back and forth and let's can i our, our list can't overlap correct uh, our list can overlap okay but yeah i don't want back to, your courses it can be mine mine can be yours doesn't matter i'll start us off with a course i have not played a course that i have walked a course that i will someday yep. play uh pebble beach that's Same. just so that's easy it's, that's, it's well, low-hanging fruit list. but it's got to be on the list um pebble beach one one and one two uh my second one of course i've not played a course you've played but a course that i've maybe seen the most of in terms of just like online content mm-hmm. i i need to play pinehurst number two i need to play number it's just like it just looks looks like such a different type of golf and a golf that i embrace and a place that like would change as you played it more and more mm-hmm. i think number i think number two is my other course i have not played that is public that i would put on my list of five I I went back and forth with that one. And I don't think I'm going to end up. I'm going to I'm going to save it probably till the end. I don't think I'm going to end up with it. But it's really really hard not having it on there for me. It's mm-hmm. such it, it's such an awesome golf course. It's amazing. It's incredibly difficult too. It, it's not yeah. one of these. It's it's one of these golf courses that if you play it every day, it's going to absolutely you know it's going to kick your ass. The greens are just impossible. But there's just similar to not obviously not to the level of, but similar to Augusta. Like when you're when you're on Augusta, you know you're on Augusta. You have that special feel. Like when you're on the first tee at Pinehurst, when you're walking up the 18th fairway at Pinehurst, like man, you just you know where you're at, and it's it's kind of cool. You kind of feel the history. They got the Payne Stewart statue that my, my father posed next to, <laughs> creating the same same pose, exactly. which is awesome. But you got like you know where you're at. So I, I really like that pick. Um, I am going to go with. Uh, I'm going to stick same Pacific North, same, you know, same resort even. I, I'm going to put Spyglass Hill on there. Um, Spyglass was right up there with Pebble as maybe the, as, as the, it wasn't the best course I played on that trip because Pebble was, but like, man, Spyglass was a lot closer to Pebble than I thought it was going to be. Um, it's playable, but it also is incredibly challenging once you kind of get to the back, mainly the back nine is the whole course isn't easy, but the back nine gets really hard and has, it has kind of everything you want in it in a great golf course too you know the first five six holes you're along the water the last 12 you're kind of back in the woods and like truly does have a little bit of an augusta feel to it from like the, the way the bunkers look the trees look uh, it, it's a very difficult course and it's, it's more under the i can't play this every day but i want to play this course i loved it so yeah much. I, I would put i would put um that that's how I would in that category. number two for me yeah. it's like not your everyday play but gotta be on the list gotta yes, be an option 100 percent. so I, that's why i Spyglass for me, probably if it's between Spyglass and Pinehurst, I'll probably take Spyglass because you took Pinehurst, but like it, it's right up there with me and it's just, it gets overshadowed because it's right by Pebble, but man, it is, it is right up there. Not quite there with Pebble, but man, it's close. Uh, I will, I guess I will combat my unplayability of number two with 
what is the we most, need to play playable, most playable, enjoyable. Um, it's not going to resonate with anyone because I doubt anyone that listens to the pod has played it before, but Empire mm. Ranch in El Dorado Hills, California. It was mm. my home course. That just course sounds great, Sac- though. It was my home course in Sacramento. It is beautiful. It's thought-provoking. You play it at 2 o'clock and you get the sunset over the rolling California hills. Um, it just... It was special because it was like it was not only my home course, but because it was Sacramento and it was the first time I had a 12 month golf season. I probably played that place in two years that I was in Sacramento. Let's say what that's 24 months. I played it 40 times easy, 50 times, maybe like it was easy a twice a month situation out at Empire Ranch. That was Mm -hmm. that was the spot. So that's forever got a a soft spot in my heart. Um, Not the first place I broke 80, but broke 80 there more than anywhere else. And it's a it's not an easy course like wind blows out there. You're in trouble. You're trying to break 90 Um, winds down and you got a chance to get to some pins. And and it's definitely a place that um, opens itself up to you as you play it more. There's some, I wouldn't call it tricked up in spots, but there are some bad places you can be yeah, that you, you can learn where you can be. Tee. Exactly. I like that. I like that pick. I like, I like going more local and home to the courses, you know, that you've, you've played a million times that maybe not everybody knows about. Um, I, I wanted to, if, if I got another I was, one too, but Ooh, okay. If I was including <laughs> private courses, I would have Lost Dunes have been my first pick easy, but I, I, I tried to avoid the private courses just to keep it kind of more, I don't, every, courses everybody can play. I think you should be able to include the private course if you have membership. So you can throw Lost Dunes on there if you want. Okay, well then that's really easy. <laughs> it's Lost Dunes. I played that course Beautiful. no less than 200 yeah, times in my life. I, I know it like the back of my hand. Somewhere. I mean, it's the first course I broke 80 at. It's the course I broke 80 at. Majority of time, it actually might be the only course I broke 80 at. I've done it a bunch of times out there. It's where <laughs> I play most of my golf. But it's it's it, you've been out there. I have some friends who've been out there. Luckily, it's just it, it's an amazing it's golf course. It's special. It's wide open, but also like it's similar to like 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 you said with El Dorado Ranch. Like yeah, the fairways are huge. The greens are huge. But if you're in the wrong spot on one of those, good luck making yeah. par. Um, and it's just, it's a special golf course. I've played it 200 times. I hope to play it infinitely more than that the rest of my life. And it's that, that has to be on the list if I'm, if I'm including my, my forever golf course, because that will probably think, be my forever golf course. I think the thing that I love the most about uh, Lost Dunes is it's just, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's picturesque. It's challenging. It's forgiving. But there's no pretense. There's no club. Pre- you you drive up as a guest and you mm-hmm. feel welcome. And that's not always the case at at, at private courses. Um, that's what I've always really enjoyed about the experience at Lost Dunes as well. Is that it's good. It's a it's a collection of good people, and not all clubs I don't think can say that for themselves. Shout out Lost Dunes. If you, Joe, let's get we got to get you back up there sometime at, at some point when you're back. Uh, in Give them uh, send them my information. Like if, if they like the promo, a hat, quarter zip, whatever. I, I'm a, I'll see I'm a walking billboard out here. I'll see. I'll see what um, we can do. I'm gonna take us. Uh, I do have one Chicago course on my list. I'm gonna save that for my fifth and final. I am gonna take us back to Northern California for a. Uh, oh no, because then but then I'm leaving out Arizona. Mm, I need Arizona. On you my gotta. Mm, these are where the tough choices come in, Joseph. Eagle Mountain in Arizona. That's honorable mention. We can, we'll give you an you honorable know, Arizona, mention. We'll no, Arizona's honorable not mention. making the list. Arizona's not making the list. I'm going to California's. I'm going with the two that I've never played, and I'm going with the Chicago. So my second California is Yochadihi. 
or Yoka Dehe, I don't know, however they Whatever, pronounce it. Yeah. It is a troon course about an hour north of Sacramento. Again, yellow rolling hills. It's still my background. It is the it is the single finest public golf course I've ever played. It, it really is. Um, it, it doesn't obviously have the history of a Pebble Beach or a Piners number two, but it has everything you could want in a golf course. It has amazing experiences there. I have I have watched friend of the podcast, Ian McGuire, touch the sun. He was three under through 14 there. And this is a difficult golf course. Um, so there's been some special days out there at, uh, at Yoka Dihi. Um, and it is truly a, a place that if you're listening to this podcast right now with a second screen in front of you, Google it. It's just, it, it is the picture of Northern California golf to me. It's just, it's just absolutely spectacular. Love it. I, I love hearing more about the courses that hit close to home, and that, that clearly is one of one with you, too. Um, I am coming back. I'm, I'm staying in the Midwest here because I feel like it's it's most of the golf that I know. Um, uh, you did the, the Forest Dunes recap with, with Tim and I. I think this was mm-hmm. two, two summers ago. And I'm not going with Forest Dunes. This might be a little bit of a loophole. Not going with Forest Dunes, their, their uh, stadium course, premier course, but their second course, which is also a top 100 course in the country, I believe, publicly, called The Loop. And yes. it is, it's a really fun golf course. It's wide open. The fairways are whole, like hilariously hard. Like they, like your ball, if you hit in the fairway, like shoots up almost like hit it off a cart path. You get, to, you get a whole lot of bounce. It's, but it, it's fun, but it's difficult at the same time with like – how you think there's not a lot of flat lies the, the greens are um, greens are very are bigger or if you're you know the wrong spot you know you're in a lot of trouble but it's a unique course in that you play it it's a full loop that's why they call it the loop it's a big circle and you play it one way on monday and on tuesday and you literally it. play it reverse yeah. so it's so uniquely designed that it might be a loophole but i love the course it was like i had so much fun and we played it twice we played it both ways and it's two completely different golf courses built into one. And I didn't have, like, there was no direction that I, I specifically remember being better than the other. Um, but it was just a very fun golf course, kind of in the middle of, of nowhere, wide open fairways. Uh, they, they got some fun bunkers, fun greens, a uh, lot of tree coverage there, too, kind of once the fairways end. But like, it, it's just a fun golf course. And I like the fact that I can play it both ways kind of adds an extra golf course there. Um, is that number five for you, Matt? Or is that that is, shoot, that's three for me. That's no, that's gotta be four. Pi four. Yeah, that's four. Cause lost ends. Forgot about lost ends. Gotcha. Carry on. Carry on. Um, I'm going to offer my fifth, which is a Chicago course here. But while I do that, Matt, I want you to Google Yocha Dehe because I just did. Y O C H A D E H E. It's like, uh, it's, it's something special out there. Yocha um, Dehe. All right. I'm Googling while you talk. You Google, I'm going to give out my fifth and final here. And it's, it's straightforward. It's nothing special, but it's, it's the home course back home. And that's Schomburg Golf Club. Um, I, I don't know that there are better public greens in the Chicagoland area. They, they've, they've carried that mantle for 20 some years now. My dad has played a permanent tee time every Sunday during the summer, spring months. Um, it's just, it's probably the golf course that I've played the most in my life, uh, Mm -hmm. Schomburg golf club. And the course has been through renovations and it's, it's really well done. It's three separate nines. Each one of them has its own style. 
Um, I think you go out there and you don't get bored. It's a, it's a course where I could play every Sunday with my buddies and mm-hmm. not get bored of it over 25 years how my dad has. So again, some sentimentality there, the home course, the place I've played the most. Chambry uh, is my fifth and final. So my list of five would be Pebble Beach, Pinehurst number two, Schomburg Golf Club, Empire Ranch, and Yochidihi. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I'm Are you going, seeing these pictures, though, of Yochi? Uh, it looks amazing. Now, that, it's it, unbelievable. It, I'm sure they got some drone footage here that they're taking pictures of. It, it looks so they pretty, get it, it, they get incredibly it so unbelievably green. And then out there in the summer, the hills are all burnt out. So it's like yellow backdrop. It's unbelievable. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, lo- I really like it. It's it, like when they kind of burned out, like burn, uh, burn out like the, the side hills and stuff, or at least or probably more Midwestern thing. But like when they – like in the fall, when it rolls around, they burn down the the, mm-hmm. uh, the tall grass. The tall grass uh, browns a little bit. It almost makes it like a different golf course that you're seeing than middle of the, the summer when everything's so green. It's, it's really cool to see. Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to pick a golf course with that's with similar juxtaposition. It's one that I've, I've been lucky enough to play uh, a few times now, and I, I did mention it in the the halfway house uh, debate. Aaron Hills is one mm. of the. It's, it's, it's again, not a course that you can play every day. It's difficult when the wind's whipping out there, it makes it even harder. And it's a, it's a tough walk. I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's a nine and a half, nine mile walk. Like I don't know how some yeah. caddies double bag it. It's insane, but it's just, everything about it is so spectacular. Like the way I describe it is whistling straights is a fantastic golf course. It's magnificent. It's cut along the water and you're not going to beat those views. Aaron Hills is the, whistling straights was created with you know they brought in a whole bunch of sand and then they they created whistling straights aaron hills is the natural version of that not along the water it's just it's that spectacular the rolling hills it's it's just absolutely unbelievable i love everything about the course um again can't do it every day because or if if i did i guess i'd be in the best shape of my life for walking it um Mm -hmm. but i just i absolutely love the course it's fair it's difficult uh, there, there's a lot of that tall grass, which I love to seem to find here and there. Uh, but it, it's just, a, it's a very fun, challenging golf course that I don't, it's, if you played it, it's absolutely amazing. It's spectacular. It's probably, it, it's regularly in the top 10, I think in golf digest, you know, top 100, 100 public course in the country. And it's still in my eyes, somehow underrated. I think it doesn't get the credit that deserves probably because it's, you know, right down the street from whistling straights in, you know, two hours, but I, I absolutely love that golf course. So Aaron Hills, Lost Dunes, Pebble Beach, Spyglass Hill, uh, and the Loop. It's a nice, it's a nice little setup you got there. It's a nice yeah. five. I'd take it. Um, I'd take it as well. I'm still I sticking with my Midwestern roots there. I'm either in the Midwest or Northern California. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honorable mention out in AZ because I couldn't get it on my list. Quintero uh, Golf Club and Eagle Mountain out there are two mm. that I try and get out to annually. And I will make a promise. To the Moose and Runes listeners and to you, Matt Rooney, that this summer I will have a course review of Beth Page Black for the people. Ooh, we need um, that one. We need yeah, that one. It's, uh, I just need to go subject myself to it, make the drive out to Long Island, and just uh, get my doors blown off. But yeah. if, if In nothing a fun else, way. if nothing else, we raid the pro shop and we come away winners. You know, that's, that's just that how you got to do it. You, gotta, do you it. play terrible, but you got a great quarter zip, so that's all that counts. <laughs> my, my one honorable mention that could probably get booted out from Lost Dunes because it's not the same type of course, but kind of that similar, easier playing, you know, big open fairways, open greens uh, layout. But I, as you can tell, I think most of my courses are like that. Um, 
uh, Mammoth Dunes in at Sand yeah. Valley, the, the Sand Valley Resort. Sand Valley is a really nice course. It's a much more difficult course, and it kind of has a lot of those turtleback greens like you see at Pinehurst. Mammoth Dunes is this just massive, magnificent course that like they made for it to be like good golf but fun golf. Like the fairways are big, the greens are big. You, you can put it yourself in certain spots, but it, it's it's challenging, but every shot you have is fun and creative. And I just, it's wide open. It's, it's a great walk. There's a lot of interesting, more, you know, short par fours, long par threes, a lot of holes that kind of make you think your way through the course, but they're not, if you can hit the ball straight, you're going to be fine, but it's just, it's, it's open. It's challenging. It's meant to be fun. Uh, so I, I like mammoth dunes. There is kind of a relax. It's, it's tough, tougher walk. And you can only walk more of a relaxing, like I can play that course every day and not get tired of it. And also not yeah, like the, the playability, the playability a- factor has to be there. We love to go to these places and experience them as one-offs, but like mm-hmm. you need to be able to play the course. Two every day. To get, yeah. You're not, I'm not going to Beth page black once a week to like get punched in the mouth. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's a reason that the Ryder cups there in a couple of years. There's a reason that the PGA was there. There's a reason they've held us open. It's because, they're not for us you know yes they are not but every once in a while they can be for us and i think that's that's why we we tried to find a nice little balance here um you know i I think we're right up against it we do have a couple more mailbags that i think we're we're going to get to here as the the summer goes on the the spring goes on because we got to save them but for now i think uh i think that's a good spot i think that's a good spot to wrap up episode 250 Episode 250 in the books, Matt Rooney. Uh, we are a quarter of the way to episode 1,000, so don't stop now. Uh, don't stop now, boys. As always, to have these conversations, uh, whether it be about uh, Michelin-star restaurants, golf courses, or anything in between the two. You're the absolute best, my friend. Uh, Matt, this is a tip of the cap to you, uh, who's fiercely produced us for 250. I think we're at like 256, you know, lost episodes. Lost episodes, half episodes. Some half episodes. Breaking news episodes, whatever. uh, We appreciate you guys tuning in. I know a lot of you have been here for all 250, so uh, here's, here's to you guys as well. But for now, he is Matt Rooney and I am Joe Musso. Matt, say goodbye to the people. Later. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the steak was phenomenal. <laughs>